How's it going on this great Thursday afternoon? My name is Hayden Joyner, joined with Chris Fortenberry and Liam Worley, and this is Off the Bench, season four, first episode of the new school year. Uh, first off, I mean, it's been a crazy year. You two, we already know. Um, and college football, NFL, it's right around the corner, um, and we're super excited for it. Thursday night football is tonight, Rams, Bills, and uh, the season just getting kicked off. Uh, I'm going to say a first little note about Off the Bench going forward. Uh, Chris, Liam, y'all know this, but our radio station XLR, um, we're going through some changes in like the like the managers and the and the staff for it. And what it means basically is that we're not going to be able to get on air until maybe the beginning of October. So until then, maybe that first week of October, we're going to be doing Zoom episodes until then, kind of randomly throughout the week. I don't know if we'll be able to have a set time just to do all of our busy schedules, but we'll try our best to get a weekly show in every week and uh, and talk football and motorsports and everything else we're talking about so expect these zoom episodes for a few weeks until we can get back in the station in the studio and uh those you know we'll get video clips and all those kind of other things up on the social media but for right now it's just audio clips we'll still have some stuff on the social media but video clips are sadly uh, are not possible right now with zoom but i mean hey guys chris lee and we've done we've done tons of zoom episodes before we know what we're doing and uh it's gonna be a fun year regardless i'd assume for sure oh, yeah for sure so college football this week, obviously this past weekend was week one. We got week two coming up and uh, every team was in action. Every team has pretty much played a game so far. We had uh, some crazy games, some boring games. Uh, LSU took a bad loss to Florida State. We had all those like North Carolina team matchups where kickers were just missing left and right. And uh, all of our teams took W's, I think. Did Auburn win, Liam? I honestly didn't even care about Auburn. That's good. We were playing Mercer, so yeah, we we won. Okay, that's it's good that you won. If that had been a loss, I probably would have known, I guess. But, well, oh yeah, no, it would have been everywhere. <laughs> but Kentucky, Ohio State, Auburn all took W's. Uh, we'll start with Ohio State, Chris. Obviously, facing up against Notre Dame, top five matchup. It was one of the games uh, slated to be one of the games of the weekend, and y'all took care of business, twenty-one to ten over Notre Dame. I mean, first off, as a fan, Chris. Tell me just how that game that game went through for you. Um, well, to be honest, I kind of went through every emotion during that game. <laughs> I was I was disappointed that with our offense, definitely to uh, throughout the probably the first three quarters, uh, it was pretty disappointing that we'd only scored what seven points going into the halftime. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I was I kind of I can't say can't say much because Jackson Smith. I think he went out on the like first or second drive. And we didn't really see much of him for the rest of the game. Uh, and I'm, I'm told that he's going to be sidelined at most two weeks. So it's not that big of a deal. But um, hopefully he comes back soon. But uh, overall, I was very, very impressed and happy with how our defense played, especially since we were one of the worst defenses in the country last year. And over the offseason, you know, we brought in a couple of uh, new coordinators, new assistants and all that to help out. So I was very impressed with what our defense was able to do, hold them to 10 points. Uh, I believe we gave up zero points uh, in the second half. We gave up less than 100 yards in the entire second half. So our defense coordinator made some some good changes, good adjustments, and I was very impressed to see that. Um, I know Stroud probably didn't put up the game people expected. However, he did still manage and, and play well when we needed him to. Made some good throws on third down. Kept uh, kept the play going when the uh, the pocket collapsed. Um, but I think my uh, best players from our game was definitely uh, Mayan Williams, the running back. He just dude just kept uh, kept trucking. Did not want to 
get taken down easy. He kept going, saved us on that last drive when we needed him to extend the lead to 11. Um, and just the entire defense really stepped up. So that's, that's what I have to say about our team and that first win. It was a gritty win, but, you know, sometimes you got to do that, have those wins against those top five teams. So I was impressed to see the toughness and all that. It really felt like, like I watched, I watched the majority of this game and it felt like, you know, everyone was kind of going in thinking, you know, Ohio State's going to try to put up that offense that y'all had um, in the bowl game last year. And, you right. know, uh, Smith and Jigbo went off, you know, they were expecting this huge star, like, you know, high flying offense, passing centric CJ Stroud's obviously aiming for the Heisman this year and you need to have those big game against big opponents. And like you said, Stroud didn't have the most explosive game like people were expecting. I mean, 223 yards, two touchdowns, uh, 24 of 34 completions, nothing insanely crazy. But honestly, I felt like watching this game, Ohio State played more of Notre Dame's style, but Ohio State just kind of took advantage of it and, and played their own way. You know, right. Notre Dame going to this game, you know, their game plan is going to be to slow down this game, to play bully ball a little bit and to make Ohio mm -hmm. State second guess everything they're doing. And for the first half, I mean, they were they were largely successful in it, leading 10 to 7 at the break, obviously. But second half, you get those adjustments from Ryan Day and that coaching staff. Like you said, held Notre Dame to zero points in the second half. C.J. Stroud was able to put up a couple touchdowns in the second in the second uh, half to, to finish it out 21 to 10. I felt like Ohio State, you know, they're just like, all right, Notre Dame, if you, if you want to like throw us in the mud kind of and play this kind of style, we're just going to play down to your level here and we'll just do it better. And that's kind of just how the execution went for uh, for the Buckeyes. And and you came out with a big win, top five win, and jumped up. Uh, or no, y'all didn't jump up. You actually fell in the standings, right? To three. Yeah. But yeah, we're one of the few teams in the country that could exactly. be the top five team and, and drop in the rankings. But uh, it's, yeah, it's kind of understand. I mean, I'm not against it because I think Georgia went out there, did their job, played great. They deserve to be where they're at. Alabama did their job, played great. They deserve to be where they're at. So. It doesn't hurt my feelings that we dropped a three. I'm perfectly fine with Georgia at two and Alabama at one. It doesn't really matter. We're in week two. We got a long way to go. A little SEC biased in it, but that's okay. Oh, I mean, no, it's man. all good. Frickin', uh, the third-ranked team beat the 11th-ranked team freaking by leaps and bounds. It wasn't even the it's game. a good point. I was no, the thing, the thing... Go ahead. Oh, I had nothing. Yeah, you're good, My Chris. My boy from Bo Nix, but uh, it was no good. No good. Yeah, the, the, the crazy thing is, like, when it comes to week one, the rankings really don't mean anything because no. whoever they put the whoever they put at 11 or 5 or 6. It's it, all speculation. It yeah, it's all like, oh, we think you're going to be good, but you don't really know who's good until about maybe halfway through the season. Yeah. And, and there's still a lot left to prove after that. So, the rankings really don't mean anything until you get, you know, later on in the season. Everybody knows that. So it'll be, you know, we'll we'll figure more out about each of these teams as time goes on. And, you know, I think one, two, and three are perfect right where they're at. That's probably where they should be, honestly, for now. But mm -hmm. until proven otherwise, I like where these rankings are at. Well, speaking with you. Yeah. Speaking of uh, of your old homie, Bo Nix, Liam, we'll jump over to Georgia Auburn, the game that propelled Georgia into that number two spot behind Alabama. 49 whoa, to three. Whoa, whoa. Georgia, Oregon. I mean, Georgia, yeah, yeah. Oregon. What did I say? What did I say? Georgia, Georgia Auburn. Uh, Georgia Auburn. Oh, no, no, no. Georgia, Georgia uh, Oregon. The score to our game is going to be worse. <laughs> Georgia, Oregon, number three versus number 11. Um, 49 to three victory over the Ducks for the Bulldogs. And, um, 
I mean, it, it just seemed like, like you said, it propelled them number two. It, it just seemed like Georgia picked up right where they left off in that national championship game for Alabama. Brick wall of a defense. I mean, three points for Oregon, supposedly a top 15 team in the country, obviously has fallen out of the rankings entirely, I believe, and yes. uh, is no longer seen. So Stetson Bennett, 368 yards, three touchdowns, and, uh, and Bo Nix sadly put up 173 yards with two interceptions. So very different quarterback play. I mean, just the whole team in general, it was a, a dominating fashion, dominating win for Georgia. Oh, certainly. They definitely haven't skipped the beat. Uh, I'm sure they were able to build off the momentum they had from winning their first national championship since the 80s. And I mean, uh, you know, they lost a few key guys uh, across the board with George Pickens. And then, you know, they had Jordan Davis and their other defensive linemen. Even the Kobe Dean is gone, too. But you know, I think Kirby Smart rallied the troops enough, and uh, I'm sure there's some uh, leaders on both sides of the ball that have certainly stepped up. And uh, Stetson Bennett, I think, is, uh, you know, he's ready for all of hit the talk about him just being around a good team uh, instead of him doing all the damage. I think uh, he's going to be the one, you know, leading the troops and doing the most damage uh, this season. What what are our thoughts? I mean, Stetson Bennett, huge performance here against, uh, I mean, a highly ranked team, but in the grand scheme of things, like we were saying with rankings, we never, we don't really know where Oregon's going to fall into the year. But Stetson Bennett, still an impressive performance, after, you know, overall, regardless. Do we see him as a Heisman, you know, threat for this year? Or is he kind of like behind some of the other guys that are, are, are up in those ranks? I do not see him as a threat, personally. I think, to be honest with you, I think he played one of the weaker defenses he will face all year. I think it was pretty much a cakewalk. I don't know if y'all saw the uh, the highlights and stuff, but from what I could tell, this dude was sitting back there with like eight-plus seconds to throw the football. Very true. So I don't think it's – I think most quarterbacks, if you give them time, can, can put up those numbers. I'm not saying Stetson Bennett is a slouch, but I'm just saying, to me personally, I think he's probably – maybe the fourth or fifth best quarterback in the SEC. Um, so I, I I think the Florida kid, Richardson, is a better quarterback and more of a Heisman threat than Stetson Bennett. But Stetson Bennett just gets more uh, probably high because he's on a better team. But um, I don't really think he's a threat, in my opinion. I do think he's a threat. Ooh. I think uh, just – well, I, I mean, he's he's probably tired of being, you know, rode off as like not a legit guy that he's just been putting a great team, which is, you know, partially true. But I mean, if they're going to definitely face some tough defenses uh, throughout the season and uh, yeah, but I think uh, I think realistically he could finish. He could win the Heisman, but I think he'll finish about fourth or so. You think he gets an invite to the ceremony at least? I do. I think. Uh, uh. I think no chance. Have, no, I think if they have a loss at that point, it'll be to like Alabama in the SEC championship, maybe. And besides that, I mean, you know, I don't really see them losing to anybody. So I'm not worried about, uh, you know, the win loss thing getting into it. But I think my goodness. They do have a cakewalk of a schedule, though. Good Lord. I was, I was oh looking at the same gosh. thing. I mean, I was looking at the same thing basically until November. The toughest team they play is Auburn, which is saying a lot. You could maybe argue it's South Carolina, anything. but still. No, South Carolina is better. Well, South they Car play Florida October 29th. I said basically until November, so you got to give me credit uh, on that one. But. 
Yeah, they, they no, will have but... a they will have a stretch of four games with uh with Florida, Tennessee, Mississippi State, and Kentucky, and then obviously you're probably facing Alabama in that title game in December. But until then, I mean, you just have a you just have a you know a stretch of six games potentially where Stetson Bennett can just pad his stats and add to a Heisman resume that to you know to at least to a casual fan is going to look very impressive exactly. disregarding their opponents. Yeah, I mean, I don't see. I I think he gets an invite, but I think there's going to be you know, more legit dudes that are going to going to get more votes than him when it comes time for the Heisman ceremony. Yeah, like I know that Stetson Bennett um, had like probably better stats and a bigger win this week against, you know, a very good team. But I don't know, man. I watched the uh, Anthony Richardson this week and that guy, he's he's got something to him. It's like you could you watch Stetson Bennett play, and then you watch him play. He played a Pac-12 defense though too, so who knows? No, but you, Utah, I would I would consider is, is much better than Oregon, and we'll definitely see that this year. Well, Utah beat Oregon twice last year, but let's forget who Oregon did beat last year too. No, I, I know. I'm listen. Ohio State had one of the worst defenses of the in the country last year, so that's why Oregon beat us. And they also have a different head coach this year than they did last year. And but, quarterback and the whole yeah. nine yards for sure. Yeah, was, yeah, all that, all that's different. But I'm saying, you know, Stetson Bennett is a guy who can get bailed out by his defense, and we all know that. That's a that's a quarterback who doesn't really have to worry because he knows his defense is going to step up and keep the, the score low. I mean, he, if he would have, if he would have put up six points in that game, he would have won. That's all he had to do. I know they put up 49, but I'm just saying against the number 11 ranked team in the country. If he puts up six points, they win the football game. You're not wrong. So, to there. me, like you watch Anthony Richardson, that dude had to basically put the team on his back to win that football game, and he did. They won, what, 29-26? Correct. Like so, that, yeah. you know, that's what I look at. I don't look at, you know, what his numbers were regardless. I look at what his team is doing and, and everything that goes into it. And, you know, it's guys like that who can put the team on their back and help them win football games, that, those are my Heisman threats. Those are my Heisman guys. Well, let's jump over to this game, Florida and Utah, obviously, you know, the co-pack 12 guy and Florida with Anthony Richardson, who's, you know, after this game looks like kind of a dark horse Heisman threat to kind of the likes of Bryce Young or CJ Stroud, 17 of 24, 168 yards in the air for Anthony Richardson, not too impressive, but on the run, he's 11 carries, 106 yards, and three touchdowns. And the clutch moments he had at the end of the game, the two-point conversion, the final touchdown, uh, a 15-point fourth quarter for the Gators, led them past the number seven team in the country, Utah. And for Florida, this was a huge win because, I mean, in the rankings, what you want to care about them, propelled them from out of the rankings all the way to a 12, I believe. And it's a huge momentum swinger for Florida, especially coming – into a season where there was a lot of question marks surrounding them. Obviously, last year behind Emory Jones, they had one of the most disappointing seasons, one of the bigger busts of the 2021 year. And, and this year, they're coming out swinging, beating the number seven team in the country. They haven't stopped talking about it on social media still, and it's almost time for next week's games. Um, it's everywhere. So they're feeling pretty confident. And Anthony Richardson's feeling pretty confident, especially after this 29-26 to 26 win over uh, a huge Pac-12 team. Yeah, no, he played well. I watched that game, and it was, it was besides the Appalachian State-North Carolina game, it was probably my favorite game to watch of the week because I wasn't able to tune into the 
LSU Florida State game. But uh, no, he he definitely outperformed uh, my expectations for sure, and I I definitely uh, consider him a, a dark horse contender for the Heisman. You know, I actually was talking to my dad here the other day, and we were reading that scouts, NFL scouts, after this first game. And and they did a little bit more research into into you know what they've seen from previous years, but I heard that if Anthony Richardson continues on the pace and and what he did last week, that NFL scouts would take Anthony Richardson over Stroud. That's crazy. Because the, he's a dual threat. Because they consider Stroud to be one dimensional. All he does is throw, and I I agree. I personally, I think he's a great passer, but he doesn't do enough with his legs. And you see the trend of the NFL is moving more towards dual threat. I mean, the the days of the just pocket passing quarterback, I mean, they're still around, don't get me wrong, but it's starting to slowly, you know, uh, advance to more dual threat quarterbacks. And they're saying Anthony Richardson could potentially be the second, and if he performs even better than expectations, first quarterback taken because of what he can do and his, like, superstar-type potential. That, I mean, that surprised me a lot. I mean, obviously, you know, the NFL is gearing towards uh, – I mean, a lot, of, a lot of the new quarterbacks coming to the NFL are, are dual threats. So the fact that they're taking Richardson over Stroud for that specific example doesn't surprise me. But, you know, Richardson is a guy that didn't really get – he couldn't get the starting nod last year, even though you could frankly say he deserved it for most of that season last year over Emory Jones. This year, obviously, coming out with an impressive win – but for Florida, I've been trying – I mean, obviously, as a Kentucky fan, we're playing them this upcoming week. And I've been trying to look at this game and look at Florida and figure out any ways to make myself feel a little bit more comfortable with this game because right now, Florida's looking like a, a decent team. But this easily could have gone either way in this game. Utah, if I can't remember what they fell to, but they shouldn't fall too far because this team's still a solid team. Cameron Rising still had a very good game. Um you know, they still they lost to a Florida team with with practically a new starting quarterback and a new head coach and Billy Napier. But I mean, U- Utah failed. I mean, I think it was like two successive drives into the like the into the five yard line on the goal line. I think it was like a fumble and a turnover on downs. They couldn't get it done. You add those two, they they putting up 40 against this Florida team. And it was just a really niche game, a really close game where Florida success succeeded in the end zone or in the red zone. And Utah didn't succeed in the red zone. And that's really the main difference in this game. Anthony Richardson, easily the difference maker in that comparison because of obviously his huge success running the ball in that red zone and able to get those two-point conversions, get those touchdowns for Florida when they needed it. But my biggest takeaway for this game, at least, is that Utah shouldn't be super disappointed in this game. This was a solid game from both halves. Like Liam said, probably one of the best games of the weekend. Oh, for sure. I think both these teams prove that they are going to be contenders this year in their respective conferences. Maybe not, not for a playoff spot, I believe, but definitely contenders in their respective conferences and divisions within their conference. I wouldn't oh, I, count I, Utah yeah, out, man, of the playoffs. I wouldn't I think, count Utah out. I guess for if, you, if you're a one-loss Pac-12 champion, you have that. Yeah. You have I think, it. Uh, I think them or uh, USC, you know, I think both those teams, since Oregon's already there, they're illegitimate. Uh, I think if one of those two teams is either certainly undefeated, but uh, even a one-loss Pac-12 champ, I think you get in. Yeah, I think um, I think the Pac-12's best bet is probably USC 
and USC would most definitely need to run the table or just have one, you know, close loss, but they can only afford one loss. I think the committee kind of looks down on the Pac-12 at this point. It's kind of obvious that we, we, and you know, yeah. maybe rightfully so, because the Pac-12 really hasn't done anything in the years Since up 20, there. Yeah, I about to say the only game they've won, I think, is 2014 when – the uh, very first playoff, yeah. We're going to beat, yeah, Florida I mean, State. It, and since then, who have they? I know they snuck Washington in that one year, but who have they had really in the last couple of years? That I think that was sn- it, man. A, that I might be it, it. Yeah. Like they don't even sniff being a threat. I mean, Cincinnati nope. last year was more of a threat than any Pac-12 team's been in the playoff in recent years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Utah's yeah, I mean, been like maybe borderline a year or two in there, where they've like finished, you know, seven or eight. And when they uh, do the playoff, I mean, last year they were a pretty good team, I thought, and uh, definitely gave Ohio State a run for their money in the Rose Bowl. But, you know, it's they're coming close, but no cigar. Maybe maybe this is their year they can get that cigar. Maybe so. I mean, I think, I don't know, when you look at the playoff and how it's worked so far, I mean, the only people – the only conference that can really say they've done anything – is the SEC. You look at, you know, Ohio State won it the first year, but, you know, we've only been back one time since then. And uh, I guess ACC has Clemson, and they can claim uh, some of that. Clemson but it's only been claim it. ACC can't claim it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's only been Clemson. <laughs> it ain't been any yeah. of the ACC. So, you know, you know, props to the SEC for what they do, uh, for the teams that they put out, and for constantly, you know, playing great football. And, you know, I think uh, I don't know. I don't know how things are going to change here in the in the coming years because things are kind of, you know, getting crazy with Pac-12 teams going to the Big Ten and the playoff getting larger. And I don't know if more teams are going to start moving around. It's going to be. It'll crazy. just be four SEC teams instead of two. <laughs> Speaking of, we'll hit this last topic before we go into a break. But twelve team playoff approved by the committee of college football gods, whoever approved it. Um, scheduled to start in 2026, could start as early as 2024. I wish we had Jamison on the show because he would love to talk about this, I'm sure. But, you know, we all thought the jump was going to go from four to eight. It goes from four to 12. What is What are y'all's initial thoughts on this? Um, I will Wonderful. say, I will say for what I know, and you, you two correct me if I'm wrong on this, but from what I've heard is that they're thinking it's going to be five or no, it's going to be six automatic bids, the Power Five champions, and then one, then the best Group Five champion, highest-ranked Group Five champion, however you want to call that. And then the rest will be, I guess, you know, selection, inference bids like that. So Perfect. I mean, that's kind of what we were calling for last that, year, I feel like. Yeah, as an I, that's, that's, that's exactly what, what we were saying. I mean, it's I think the six uh, – are right, and then you know the rest. The other six are just at large bids, where you know it's just the best of the rest who uh, are higher higher ranked than mm-hmm. you know the other teams who aren't going to get in. So uh, I think it's definitely going to spice things up a little bit, eh? Yeah, yeah, I think twelve is honestly the perfect number because from from my perspective, looking at you know the top twenty five and, and and all the teams in college football. You probably have about 12 teams at max, at most, who can win, you know, the big-time football games. I don't foresee any teams outside of that top 12 really doing much in the playoff against, you know, Alabama or Georgia. But I think you, if you max, if you cap it at 12, and that 12th, 11th, 10th, 9th, those teams can actually do something and make a run. I mean, what I've talked about with Liam many times 
is that three-loss uh, Auburn team, I believe it was, when they beat two number one teams uh, in the country that mm-hmm. year, they beat yeah, Alabama 20, and Georgia. 17. Yes. To me, that's a team that should not be out of the playoff. You beat the number one team twice in a season, there's no doubt in my mind you can do it in the playoff and beat other teams. So I know they have three losses, and that's going to happen. That's football. But, you know, I think now that we have 12 teams, teams like that, when, with, when they have seasons like that, are going to get a chance, you know, to go far, prove something, shake things up, beat an Alabama in the first round, and make the whole playoff 10 times better because I know we are all sick of seeing the same three, four teams every year in the playoff and watching the same old song and dance every single time the playoff happens. I know I'm sick of it. I know a lot of people are sick of it, and I think it's it's going to be good for the game. Yeah, I'm I mean, sick of it too, but I think the consistency of those teams something that doesn't need to be like just kicked to the side. But I, uh, I'm i definitely for the 12 team. Uh, and like, you know, you thought last year that – Ohio State was a top four team, but they just had two losses, which is what kept them out, you know, and they were finally able to put Cincinnati in that that group of group of five spot instead of, you know, power five. So, uh, you know, they were able to do that, but this would allow your team, Ohio State, to have done more in like Olave and uh, Garrett Wilson wouldn't have sat out and stuff. So, you know, you would probably finish – third or fourth at worst so yeah i mean that's that's what i'm saying like you know i i was rooting for the nation's top offense to play the nation's top defense i felt like ohio state versus georgia would have been a you know a better matchup than what georgia was it notre dame who played them michigan it was michigan Michigan, sorry it was michigan Yeah. yeah i i know michigan beat us and i i get that but michigan had no business in that game against georgia because they did not – everything Michigan did well, Georgia did 10 times better. You know what I'm saying? They had a better defense. They had a better offense. So you're essentially putting the same teams, like same schemes that they run, but Georgia does it way better than, than Michigan does. So Michigan really had no shot at winning that game. Aiden Hutchinson got pushed around like a ragdoll all night, and they just had no shot. And I, I could see that coming from a mile away. And um, I don't know. I just felt like – I know we were too lost. I know we lost to Michigan. We, we didn't need to be in the playoff, but it would just have been nice to see nation's top offense versus nation's top defense, see how that plays out. You don't know what's going to happen. We Like you said, we put up, what, 48 points against Utah without our two best receivers. Lord knows what we would have done. We were heating up. We were mad from our Michigan loss. I, I just I think it could have been cool, but, you know, it is what it is. 12-team playoffs going to solve that, going to help that out, so – well, I'm excited to see what's to come in the future. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's – I mean, with the 12-team playoff, it's only only positives. I mean, you can make the arguments like like the Jamison argument that, oh, teams are going to get in that don't deserve it, and it's just going to be just more teams just getting demolished by the Alabamas and Georgias of the world. But those top four teams are still going to have something to play for, obviously. You're going to want to still be as perfect as you can to get one of those top four spots because I believe they are going to get buys. With the 12-team playoff, you have to have some kind of buy. So there is going to be an incentive to be perfect because, you know, you can't make that argument where, you know, oh, if you're going to make the playoff as a one through 12, Alabama could slack off one game and lose it if they wanted to. And it's still going to they're still going to make it in regardless. And they can honestly do that now into the current playoff system. But Nick Saban's obviously never going to go for that. But there is still incentive for those teams to be great and for those top teams to be perfect in their in their season. So that's always good to see. 
But with those at-large bids, with the group of five, with the group of five automatic bid, you know, it's guaranteeing a team like Cincinnati or like Coastal Carolina if they're able to go undefeated in, in Central that, in Florida. Central Florida, yeah, any of those teams, you know, you're going to get those exciting matchups. You're going to get to see, you know, a Coastal Carolina versus a Georgia, which you're never really going to see in a lot of times, and you're just going to get to see those different matchups. Group of five teams trying to prove themselves, at least play a respective game, even under a loss, to set them up better for the next season with preseason rankings, and then maybe get them a better shot at the playoffs if they continue on their upward trajectory. It's just, it's just positives throughout. And I feel like, like what you were saying, Chris, about, you know, those top 12 teams always have a shot to beat some of the best teams. I feel like we see that every year in the rankings, at least there's always, I mean, every year when we're coming down to the college football playoff selection nights and, you know, it's just weeks away, we always have at least maybe the top 10 teams that have a shot at making the playoffs. And all we all feel like, Hey, you have a shot to make it. You have a shot to do good in it. I mean, last year we were talking like Oklahoma State had a good shot at it. Michigan, Ohio State, Cincinnati, all these teams are vying for it. Now all those teams are going to get in, and we can really see if they can shape up, if they can prove themselves in those big opportunities that they are an elite team, that they are an elite squad. And I know it's different with football than like basketball, but having a Cinderella run, even if it's just a win or two for any of these small schools in the sense of national championship appearances, you know, it'll be huge for their own programs. It'll be huge for recruiting and maybe, and also for recruiting, maybe you're going to have t- players not see themselves as, oh, we have to go to Alabama. We have to go to Georgia because they're the only teams with shots at making the playoffs. Maybe you'll have more spread out fields of recruits just because they're like, we have a better chance of making the playoffs and you can prove themselves in the playoffs regardless of what team you're on. So right. there's a lot of implications for the playoff. There's a lot of positives. There's also negatives that I don't really want to get into. I can't really think of too many off my head, but I'm sure devil's in the details. There's going to be some negatives coming from it. but. As a fan, it's more football. It's more playoff football, and um, I'm sure the games will still be categorized as bowl games. And so you're gonna, you're probably gonna have the Rose Bowl within that playoff, and those other like New Year's Six bowls. But Definitely. it's more football I, for everybody. The the revenue that is going to be uh, brought into college football is is huge. I think that's a big part of what actually played in this. Which, you know, the athletes themselves might not like it because they have to play more games. Uh, you know. That they could get injured before going to the draft, but you know it's part of it's double-edged sword. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Chris, you go. Sorry, I was just gonna say like it's gonna it's gonna make bowl games mean a little bit more now because you know a lot of these top programs like Georgia when they had all those guys leaving Texas, I think it was who beat them. They didn't care about that bowl game. You know, they didn't that whole program. They didn't make the playoff. They had no interest in playing that bowl game. And to me, you know, that's sad. You know, it's sad to go to to go be a team that's good enough to go to a, you know, big time bowl game and not even care. And, you know, to me, that looks bad, especially when you got other teams that would kill to be in that spot. And I just think it'll be good to, you know, make these bowl games, you know, mean a lot and 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 give teams more breathing room. You know, you don't want to mm-hmm. have these guys go out there and, and work their tails off. They lose, you know, one or two games. And their season, they know their season's over. You know what I'm saying? To have this breathing room, to have this opportunity to see, I think we're going to see better football played. I personally do. All right, yeah, I just think that uh, the 12-team playoff is going to give a lot more teams opportunities, and I'm, I'm really excited to see uh, how it affects college football and how it, you know, it's probably going to make it much better. So. Yeah, it's honestly, it's a huge improvement. And 2026, when it when it finally arrives, or even earlier, like 2024, I think they're saying it might might come into play or 2025. 
it'll be exciting to see what happens regardless. But we're going to go into a short break here, talk break. And when we get back, we have huge news. NFL is back on the docket. Thursday night football is tonight. NFL kickoff, Bills, Rams. We'll be talking that. We got game picks. We got new quarterbacks in the NFL and all other topics to look for. So check us out there as well. Follow us on social media at Off the Bench XLR. You can find us on Instagram primarily where you can see posts all about the show, video clips, quotes, and more. Again, that is at Off the Bench XLR. Follow us there. We're going to go into a quick break and we'll see you on the other side. And we are back here on Off the Bench. My name is Hayden Joyner, joined with Chris Fortenberry and Liam Worley. We just finished up with some college football, talking Heisman contenders, the big matches of this past week, uh, and the new 12-team playoff format that is coming in 2026 for the college football playoffs. So tons of exciting topics there. Rewind the podcast if you want to listen. But guys, Liam, Chris, NFL season is upon us. Like I said, kickoff is tonight, right after the show, right after we're recording this, honestly, Bill's Rams um, in L.A., Huge, exciting matchup. If I had to pick the first game of the season, I'd probably pick Bills versus Rams. So it's exciting to see that this is the uh, the first matchup. And I'm sure you guys are excited to watch it later tonight. Oh, heck yeah, man. It's uh, probably the most well-rounded teams in the NFL, if you ask me. And, uh, you know, I, I don't usually watch too much NFL besides maybe a game or two uh, every Sunday. But uh, I will make sure I am tuned in for this one. Oh, yeah, I think uh, we are definitely in for probably, you could argue, the best game of the year. And we're getting it in the first first week. So that's, that's awesome. Um, I think, like Liam said, this is definitely the two most round, well-rounded teams overall. Um, they match up, honestly, very, very similarly. I think they both have solid, great defenses, a lot of star power on that side, as well as the offense, you know. Uh, Matthew Stafford, a little bit more uh, seasoned, uh, has more experience, but Josh Allen's probably, in my eyes, the most talented and the best quarterback going into this season. And he's got a lot to prove, a lot of motivation, especially from previous years. So I think we are in for a definite treat in this first matchup. And I don't know, I you could go either way with who you pick, but I'm, I'm just excited to watch it go down. I mean, if you couldn't script it better, obviously the the defending Super Bowl champions usually open up the, the NFL season. Obviously, with Tampa Bay last year, I think the Chiefs did a few years ago against Deshaun Watson's Texans. It's always a huge game, and to have it against the Bills just makes it even better. Um, it's going to be at SoFi Stadium in LA. They're doing their big banner presentation, showing the rings off. The Rams are, and the Bills are coming into into town. Probably one of the most, you know highly betted on teams to win the Super Bowl this year and the Bills. Chris, I believe both of us, Liam, I can't remember what you picked. Or if, correct me if I'm wrong, but I know me and Chris both picked the Bills to win it in our way too early predictions at the end of last season. And Josh Allen's a surefire bet for MVP. It's looking like he's one of the top guys this year in contention. And just to add to it, he's going as the number one quarterback in fantasy football. So he just has a huge season in the making for him. Um, Von Miller added to that team. Jamison Crowder added to that wide receiver core of already Gabriel Davis, Stefan Diggs. Um, it's looking like a loaded team. Whether the Bills can pull it off this year or not, we'll have to see. Obviously, they lost four straight Super Bowls a couple decades ago, and they don't have a good track record, but completely different team, completely different management group now, and uh, they're looking to have a massive season. And what better way would it be to cap it off or to start it off, really, defeating the, de- the defending Super Bowl champions and the L.A. Rams on their on the opening night, on the night they're unveiling their banners and all that. So 
it's going to be a super massive game. It's one of our game picks for later on, but I'll jump into this game specifically just for a little bit for you guys. But what would you like see as the keys to this game for either team to win? Obviously, it's a good defense on both sides, good offense on both sides. But what specific keys need to happen for either team to win? Uh, I'm going to say uh, the Bills offense not being one dimensional. I think uh, I know this was a problem they had last year, not being able to get the run game going, which I think they stiffened up their uh, running backs uh, this year as well. Instead of they got Zach Moss, Devin Singletary, but they brought in someone else who I'm not James, rookie James Cook, little brother. Yeah, of James Cook. Cook, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I think. Uh, I think if they can get a little bit of a run game going to maybe catch them, uh, the Rams defense off guard a little bit, that'll open up, uh, you know, the receivers for when it, when it matters most, which I also the bills are going into this game, uh, favored, which kind of caught me a little bit off guard. Yeah. I, um, I think that, you know, it's kind of one of those things where you look at potentials like college football, you look at like who's got the firepower, who's got the potential. So that's probably where that's that's come from. I know the Rams lost uh, Von Miller and OBJ and all that, but they did add Bobby Wagner and 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 have some guys coming back from injury. But um, to me, the keys for this game for the Bills to win: no turnovers on offense. Let's not have anything stupid happen that gives the Rams any extra momentum. And you kind of just got to go back and look at, you know, last year. The 49ers had a lot of success against the Rams. I mean, I feel like every game they played against them last year, they either won or was a is a close loss in the in the postseason. But you know, kind of look back at that stuff. Look at how they were able to you know push the Rams and and keep them on their toes. I feel like maybe mix in some things that you know you haven't done before. I don't know, but definitely no turnovers for the Bills. Um, and and for the Rams, I guess you know do exactly what you did last year with Cooper Cup and, and get that guy as many touches as he can because uh, that dude's a stud. And uh, I'm pretty sure Aaron Donald and Jalen Rams are going to make big-time plays at some point in the game. You know, those those guys are superstars. So that that's something you can count on as a Rams uh, fan. But I don't know. We'll see. It's Like I said, it's, it's so unpredictable. It could go either way. It could be a blowout for either team. And you don't know what's going to happen, honestly. I mean, both of these teams for me, they're both star studded on the wide receiver side. Obviously, Cooper Cup, you got you bring in Allen Robinson for LA, the the Bills, Stefan Diggs, Gabriel Davis, you know, solid guys on both sides in the receiving core. They're gonna be huge matchups. Jalen Ramsey on the Rams side, the Bills defense as a whole ranked first in the NFL in a ton of passing metrics, catch rate, yards per yards per game or yards per attempt allowed, completion percentage allowed. They were first in the NFL in all of those, the Bills defense. Jalen Ramsey on the other side. For the Rams is kind of like the number one defense in himself. It'll be interesting to see how he plays up against Stefan Diggs in their two career matchups. I have the stat for you against Stefan Diggs and Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey's only allowed two receptions on four targets for nine yards and one touchdown. So Stefan Diggs definitely has his his uh his work cut out for him. It's a reason I started Gabriel Davis in fantasy tonight. It'll be a fun uh matchup for him as number two, but. My biggest thing for this game, I feel like, is that is that battle at the line of scrimmage between Aaron Donald and Josh Allen. Aaron Donald, retirement rumors over the offseason. He even put in his retirement papers to the Rams, but it didn't go through the NFL. He's back this year. He's coming out with vengeance against Josh Allen. 
And it's going to be a huge, a huge game. Josh Allen, arguably the best quarterback in the NFL right now. Aaron Donald, not even an argument, best defensive player in the NFL right now. They're going to be facing off against each other. Which star performs better for either team is going to determine this victory. You know, Josh Allen's not a quarterback that's just going to fall over and let Aaron Donald sack him like a lot of others. He's going to put a stiff arm to Aaron Donald. He's going to try to run away and make a play happen. And this match between both of them is going to determine um, which team wins this game, I feel like. If Aaron Donald has a big game, it's going to go to the Rams. If Josh Allen has a big game, it's going to go to the Bills. It's just an exciting matchup to see. And I'll, I'll put my bets there on the line of scrimmage. A couple of notes on this game I'll give you guys just to, you know, whet your appetite a little bit before the game. Obviously, the Bills or the Rams are unveiling the Super Bowl banner. And as a defending Super Bowl champion, they have a good shot at winning. Defending Super Bowl champs are seven and one in season openers in the last eight seasons. And Sean McVay himself is five and zero oh in season openers with the Rams. So history is looking on the Rams side, but the Bills definitely want to upset that history because they're looking to have a massive season themselves. So it'll be it'll be a super exciting game. I'm looking forward to it, and uh, it, it's just going to be a fun way to open the season, uh, regardless. But for this NFL season. So much change has happened with it. Obviously, a ton of new, ton of new rookies coming in, like every year. Ton of new quarterbacks, ton of new situations. Quarterbacks on new teams, rookie quarterbacks, all of this. Um, and and with it comes a lot of week one fun games, a lot of fun scheduling quirks. We have Baker Mayfield on the Carolina Panthers now. He's going to get to face off against the Browns, his old team. Russell Wilson's facing off against the Seahawks Monday night for the Broncos. Um, a lot of interesting situations uh, that's going to be happening, but. As for all these general storylines, guys, what are you what are you most excited or most looking forward to, to seeing? Is it is it those matchups where old quarterbacks or, or new quarterbacks are playing their old teams, or are looking to see maybe one of the one of the crap bowls, one of the tank bowls, other exciting matchups? We have tons of games this this week that are looking exciting. So, what are we most excited to see from each of y'all? Chris, you can go first. Um, I'm most excited, honestly. I'm most excited to see the group of second year quarterbacks that we that were drafted last year. Mm-hmm. And the improvements and the and the jumps that they're ready to make going into this season. I know Trent is finally in the position to start and run that very talented San Francisco team, and he could take off and they could go straight to the Super Bowl this year with that. How much talent they have, bold from Jaguars around. Yeah, and and <laughs> you know Trevor Lawrence. I think he's made strides this year in the in the, in the preseason. I think he has a slightly better team around him, so I'm excited to see what he's able to do. Uh, in his second year with a, you know, legitimate, uh, motivated head coach. I think last year was a debacle, as we all could tell. Um, I think uh, Doug Peterson did good with Carson Wentz in his first couple of years. I'm, I'm sure he could do the same with Trevor. Let's hope it's not the same outcome as Carson Wentz. But um, I'm excited to see him. Uh, Justin Fields, I know he's done well in the preseason, and everyone's behind him. I hope, you know, I know he doesn't have a great team around him, but I know he's got um, – a lot of upside to him. I know Zach Wilson has a lot of talent around him now. I know he's not going to play probably the first four, three or four weeks, but once he gets back in that system and comfortable, I think the Jets could be very good. And then, of course, we have Mac Jones, who obviously was the most impressive quarterback last year. He was on a better team compared to the others, but I know you know he's got a Hall of Fame head coach with him, and I, from what I've heard, he looks you know in the best shape of his entire career. So for me, from my standpoint, I'm really excited to see the second-year quarterback and what they're able to do now with their teams having a year under their belt. Heck yeah, man. Uh, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm going to go more of a, you know, broader quarterback sort of thing here for a second. But Wilson, for reasons that everybody else knows, uh, <laughs> uh, 
Joe Burrow, you know, I'm ready to see him push some more P. I'm ready for these new faces, yeah. places, you know, uh, with Wilson facing the Seattle Seahawks, his first game as a Bronco, and then uh, Baker Mayfield facing the Browns, his first game as a Panther. I think that's going to be really fun uh, to watch, especially that one. I would chalk this up as the only guaranteed win of the whole Panthers season. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm also really excited for Justin Herbert. I think this is the year where, uh, you know, his he just doesn't have stats. You know, he's got the game wins to kind of go with him. And uh, I, I'm i expecting big things out of the Chargers, maybe a little AFC championship game or so. I like it. Yeah, I feel like the quarterback situation for the season is obviously the main storyline. It's it's what I put in a lot of our show notes and what we're talking about, obviously, with the rookie quarterbacks or, or quarterbacks looking to ascend past what they've been. Justin Herbert, Josh Allen to a degree, looking to have that MVP-type season. Um, tons of quarterbacks switching around. Obviously, Trey Lance taking over for Jimmy Garoppolo in San Francisco. Trubisky, who a lot of people have talked about, starter quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers. See how long that's going to last. Um, just all these different changes up. Carson Wentz to Washington and Matt Ryan to Indianapolis. There's just so many different changes going around that um, interesting to look through. There's also a lot of these like minor quarterback competitions within the teams, obviously Trubisky in, in Pittsburgh, he's going to have the rookies behind him. Uh, Kenny Pickett behind him, Geno Smith and Drew Locke. Who's going to come out there in Seattle. Who's going to win that. You obviously got Marcus Mariota, Desmond Ritter, you know, just looking right over his shoulder down there in Atlanta, tons of these different just battles. Um, that it's going to be so interesting to see throughout the season who comes out on top, who excels the most. It's hard to really put a pinpoint on it, but after week one, I feel like you're going to have so much talk on, oh, this quarterback's looking impressive, this quarterback doesn't deserve a starting spot, et cetera, and et cetera. But I'll ask you guys this. We'll play this little little game real quick for you, but it's kind of been a joke right now with Pittsburgh that Trubisky's the number one, and then that you have uh, Mason Rudolph, who was number two last year, dropped number three. Um I will say for Trubisky, he's had his moments, obviously the MVP um, back up to Josh Allen and uh, his successes as well in a Bears uniform before Justin Fields took over. But how soon do we see Trubisky getting replaced by Kenny Pickett if it does happen? I don't see it happening. Interesting. I think I think Trubisky is one of the more underrated quarterbacks uh, in the entire NFL. I think he hasn't really gotten enough credit for what he has done in his time uh, in the NFL. I I know he went to the playoffs either once or twice with Mm -hmm. the Bears, and we all know that that Bears team wasn't all that great. He went 12-4 and with the Bears. Yeah, I mean, Matt Nagy is not even coaching right now, is he? You could ask me that, and I honestly wouldn't know at the moment. I think he's still in there. I can't remember him being fired, but if he was, it was just – News, to, I know, you know, just thrown in the fire. I didn't even remember it. I know he's not with the Bears, so I know – I don't know where he went, but I can say that uh, Trubisky, to do what he did with the team he had, with the talent around him, I think, you know, this is the perfect place for him to be. Mike Tomlin is probably a top three coach in the entire NFL. This guy has never had a losing season in his entire career mm-hmm. as a head coach. This guy knows how to win games, and he can get – I know they don't have Big Ben, but my God, Big Ben wasn't who he has. It was his whole career for the past probably four years in the NFL. He just wasn't the same. And to win over 500 and to do it like Mike Tomlin has done and to put these teams together like he has done, 
I honestly see him doing great things with Trubisky and, and vice versa. And I think Trubisky is going to start the whole year. And I honestly and truly believe that this is, could potentially be a playoff team. I honestly and truly believe that Trubisky is an upgrade over the state of Ben Roethlisberger he had last season. Yeah. So I agree. I don't I agree too. I know they all played well in preseason, though. So I'm expecting all three QBs to get snaps at you know different points of the season. And I'd say they maybe even give the reins. You know, uh, if Mitch has a bad stretch to Kenny Pickett for two or three games, just to see what he can do. You know, as a starter. Uh, so, you know, that'll be definitely an interesting thing to keep an eye on as the season progresses. I'll switch it over on the NFC side. Another situation like this, Marcus Mariota is the quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons right now and a team that's looking like they're going to be competing for a top two pick, if not a guaranteed number one overall pick. Does Desmond Ritter get any playing time this year as a, as a starter, not just like thrown into the fourth quarter, but as a significant starting and getting starting minutes this season? Yes. I think so. Oh, Chris, <laughs> what are you seeing him? Uh, no, I think Mariota is, is good, but, um, I don't think he's good enough to, cause look, he doesn't have a great team. Obviously the Falcons are going to lose football games. They're going to be one of the worst teams in the NFL, which makes it easier for the organization to fall into the hands of the fans, getting mad at Mariota for maybe not winning football games, which will make it very, very easy to hand it off to, to Ritter. And all he has to do is show some flashes of being good, and that job's his. Because fans are going to get tired of losing. They're going to get tired of seeing Mariota not win football games. And that'll make it super easy to put Ritter in. I mean, you do have a point there, but I think it's more of a, you know, Mariota's a veteran uh, in the NFL and that they're going to kind of, you know, show Ritter the ropes a little bit, which – I can see him, you know, starting a game or two late in the season, but I wouldn't chalk him up, you know, as being the starter like, you know, week six or anything. I think uh, they're going to have to let Mariota just kind of do whatever the heck they want to do because, I mean, they brought him in, but there's no pieces besides like Cordero Patterson around them. So, you know, it's going to be well, – They signed Mariota to a one-year deal, right? Yeah, they did, which is, you know, it's kind of what they're setting up to do anyways. You know, let Mariota play. You know, maybe he's can be an audition for a new job for him. And then, you know, once Ritter kind of learns the playbook a little bit and then hopefully they get more pieces for him next year with Smith Jigba or somebody early in the draft, uh, you know, it'll be it'll be good for him. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Oh, sorry, Hayden, go ahead. Oh, no, what I was going to just throw in here is that for Mariota, I mean, all he has to do is be mediocre. Like you said, it's a one-year deal. I don't know if Atlanta really sees Desmond Ritter as a future quarterback for them or if he's just going to kind of be in that backup role. It depends on how much he impresses if he does get some starting minutes this year. But for Mariota, the main reason he was let or he was thrown on the bench for uh, Ryan Tannehill in Tennessee was that he just he just couldn't connect on on, on certain throws, those big time throws. I think he had less than a sixty five percent completion percentage. He's had his moments, definitely. Obviously, there's that playoff game against the Chiefs a few years ago for the Titans, and then obviously he's served as a backup to Derek Carr recently. And he's had his moments, you know, in the fourth quarter on two point conversions, just in those gadget plays for the Raiders. But for for Marcus Mario to keep this job, he just has to be steady with it. It's going to be a tough year for whoever starts as at quarterback in Atlanta. I mean, I'm looking at the depth chart for Atlanta and the only players I really can even, you know, say that I knew who they were on their starting lineup besides the quarterbacks is Cordero Patterson, Drake London, 
and Kyle Pitts. Everywhere else on it, it's just names of nobodies and you know guys I've never even heard of. I, I could bet $100 you two couldn't even name two starting receivers on the Atlanta Falcons this year. Who no, those, were, those are the three people I knew as well. That, yeah. yeah. I mean, not even not counting Calvin Ridley, who's suspended for a ridiculous amount of time for no reason for gambling on football games. I yep. mean, your your wide receiver core, your three starters right now are Drake London, rookie, uh, Alamid Zacchaeus, whoever you say that, and Brian Edwards. Don't know who that is either. Your Brian starting, Edwards went to South Carolina. There you go. <laughs> your starting running backs, Cordero Patterson. Your backups, Damian Williams, who I believe that was the Chiefs running back for a few years. Kyle Pitt's going to be your leading playmaker. He, I mean, if the Rams played Atlanta, you're putting Jalen Ramsey on Kyle Pitts at this point. So whatever quarterback starts for this team, it's going to be a long year. You're not seeing 4,000 yards from any quarterback in this, in this offense. And right for that reason, I could see that Marcus Mariota becomes a scapegoat for some of those losses. And Desmond Ritter could get some of that playing time. Um, worst case, you get Felipe Franks in there. He's the third string right now. Maybe he gets some playing time, depending on how bad the situation runs for them. But that would be really, really, really bad. That's like that's like not even uh, you know zero wins. That's negative wins. Yeah, if that happens, the Falcons might want to quit as an organization because I I wouldn't want to see Felipe Franks in there playing quarterback. But like I'm looking at their schedule, unless they beat the Seahawks in Week Three. There is a legitimate chance that this team goes 0 and 17. I mean, they have a ridiculously tough schedule. You're right. Like, tell me, you be honest here and tell me who you think's winning this. Saints, Falcons, week one. Saints. Then they play the Rams. That's a loss. Then they play the Seahawks. It's, it's, in, it's, it's in Seattle, so I'm gonna give them a loss. Then the Browns. That's a that's a toss-up in the air. Um Honestly, do you trust Jacoby Brissett more? I don't know, but uh, you know, honestly, I might give the Falcons that one. That one, that one's close. That one's closer than the Seahawks game in my head. We should ask Des what he thinks. Friend of the show, Des Wilson. They could win some. They they could win some games, but I I don't know. I know they have Kyle Pitts and uh, Drake London, um, but I, I I don't think they have much on defense other than Terrell. And no. I, they're they're in, they're in trouble, guys. They play the Buccaneers twice. That's that's two losses. We know that. They need and to bring in Taylor play. Heineke. Oh my gosh, he's just as bad he- as Mariota. Heineke's Whoa. better off sitting behind. Heineke's better off on the bench behind Wentz in a Washington team that could maybe make a seven seed than he is on the Falcons, who they're just going to toss him to the curb when we when we're talking in in March about how the Falcons are going to decide on who to pick for the first overall pick. I just had to hype up my boy one time in our first show back. Heineke belongs holding a clipboard with a headset on his head, giving signals to that true starting quarterback who's actually helping them win, win football games. You're going to make me sad. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a ridiculous situation. I'm trying to think of what some of the other wild quarterback situations we're going through at the moment in the NFL. I can't, I can't pick up one in my head right now, but. Maybe Deshaun Watson. Well, do you have do you have a comment on Deshaun Watson, Liam? No, I'm just they just keep you know suspending more games from him. So I would say that's a little bit of a interesting situation. Which you know it's kind of a miracle he's even you know getting to play football again uh, and get paid bukus of money to do so. So 
Well, let me ask you this because we'll, we'll stick to this t- somewhat. The guy he ki- the guy who was kicked out, Baker Mayfield, he's with Carolina right now. They obviously play each other in week one. That'll be a game I have to tune into because Baker's going to do uh, the the gesture he did at Kansas in his college days to the Browns. He's going to wake up feeling pre-game. dangerous. He's going to wake up feeling mm-hmm. dangerous. He's going to be pushing an absurd amount of pee this game, I'm assuming. Um, yes. What's our expectations for Mayfield and the Panthers this year? Um an upgrade over Sam Donald, perhaps um, the Panthers are looking to have a decent season under Matt rule, which hasn't really happened ever. So what are our expectations for this team going forward? Mm, no bueno. Yeah. I'd say maybe about seven wins tops, but uh, you I know, mean, this, that, this that's is positive. All... I feel like a seven and, and 10 season, I guess that for is Matt rule to keep his job. It's not, but I, I don't necessarily know if, he wants to stay in the NFL, which I mean, I'm surprised he's staying for this year. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, I do think that Baker Mayfield's going to have a chip on his shoulder, and uh, if they're able to win more than seven games, I definitely think it's going to be because of him. I think he's going to want to go unslinging because you know he was bringing the Browns back out of the deep, and uh, you know they just kind of wrote him off after you know a half a bad season, so. I uh, I think he's going to be dangerous, like legitimately dangerous. Yeah, I feel like with Baker, the Browns organization felt like they gave him every opportunity to succeed and to bring them to a Super Bowl, but he wasn't able to do it. Um, I think the writing on the wall for Baker was when they lost the, um, I believe it was the playoff game to the Chiefs when Patrick Mahomes came out of the game and they still lost to Chad Henney. That was kind of the writing on the wall for Baker. And, like, yeah, you're not going to be playing for this team much longer. Um, I think Baker is good. I think he's got a lot of confidence which is and swagger, which is what you'd want. I just don't think the skill set follows up with the swagger and backs up that confidence like Joe Burrows does. You know what I'm saying? So I think Matt. At rules, probably this is last season as a Panther. They unfortunately play in a tough division. I don't think I don't foresee them beating the Saints or the Bucks at all. That's four losses mm. right there. So, you know, they'll beat the Falcons and all, but I don't know. I don't think that it looks very good for them. Christian McCaffrey, I heard, is already injured. Yep. And that's just another another year of mediocre, no McCaffrey and, and poor results. Honestly, a, a decent defense, but not good enough to win you football games. And that's what you're looking at with the Panthers. It's it's going to be interesting for for Baker. I think he's. I can't. What what's his contract? Is it one year, two year, three year? Do we know off the top of our head? Not 100 percent sure. I'm not sure. I, I want to say it's multi year, but I mean, for Baker, I feel like, and for the Panthers organization, you give him at least two years, one under Matt Rule. When and if they lose, you know, they have a losing season. Matt Rule gets fired. You give Baker a chance in this offense with hopefully a healthy Christian McCaffrey. If it's not this year, then it's maybe next year. Who knows? You just give him a chance with this team. Cause I do feel like Baker fits in with the Carolina atmosphere pretty well, better, maybe not better than he did with Cleveland, but it still has an underdog fight in him in Carolina and whether he can succeed in this offense, we'll have to wait and see DJ Moore as a receiver is one of the best he's going to ha- he's had yet. I would say DJ Moore is better than any guy he had in Cleveland, better than Landry or, or, or Odell when he was there. So it'll be interesting to see how he has that connection with the, with the true number one receiver and DJ Moore. 
if he can have a decent connection with Christian McCaffrey, however long he's in the season, it's it's basically a question of when and not if for Christian McCaffrey, whether he's going to miss a couple games this year or not, how good of a connection he has there. I do feel like Mayfield overall objectively will have a successful season in Carolina this year. I don't know what you'd really, what you'd pin that, but you know, I, I mean, if you want to put a number on it, I don't know for, for Baker Mayfield, but maybe like, maybe he reaches that 4,000 yard mark. Maybe he just misses it. I don't know, but at least 20, 25 touchdowns. I feel like for Baker could be coming this way, but it could be a losing season for Carolina regardless, but it's going to be an interesting one. I think just him being at Carolina and getting to play the Browns week one is going to be headlines enough to, to fuel him for the entire season. And if he wins that game, you can maybe expect a couple good, maybe, maybe a good first half of the season for Carolina, just off that momentum overall. But we have about 10 minutes left in this segment, guys. We're going to jump in to game picks right now. Uh, we got five games, five of the best games this upcoming week, and it's, it's, it's a great week of football. And uh, I'm excited to get this game picks in. I will say I'll, I'll gloat for a second. I won last year, my first year winning and three years trying. So I'm happy for that. And uh, you two got to look to dethrone de- me at this point because I, I came out swinging last year and had a, I think I had like two straight five and oh weeks and which never been done before. And I won by, by a couple games last year. So uh, you're the order either five and oh or oh and five. So um, you got to go bold. You got to go bold, but we'll jump into this to round out um, first game of the week. Tonight's game, just in, in 30 minutes time, I feel like, maybe 10 minutes time, uh, whatever time No, it it's supposed to start right now. Right now, look at that. But Bills, Rams, Chris, start me off. Who do you got in tonight's uh, season opening game? Like I said, this is such a tough matchup to predict. It could go either way for both teams. I know Sean McVay is a very, very talented coach, very good coach, especially in week one. But I got to roll with Bills Mafia. I'm telling you, I got I'm so high on them this year. I love Gabe Davis. I love Diggs. The connection they have with Josh Allen. It's their year. They start off big with a win away at the Rams. I got Bills. Liam, how are we thinking? Uh, I'm gonna go with Bills. Also, I think uh, I think their swagger is just gonna be a little too much for the Rams to handle first uh, first game of the season. So. It's going to be a ceremonial day over there in LA. This is going to be an exciting game regardless. And I knew this game was going to be a decisive one when we were picking. I knew we weren't all going to pick the same team. And that's coming true because I'm going to go with LA at their home stadium. Going with history here, 7-1, and one, like I said, in the last eight seasons for defending Super Bowl champions. Sean McVay hasn't missed or hasn't lost a season opener in forever. So expect that trend to continue. I'll go with the Rams. Um, second game of the week I got, we got, uh, Chris's favorite team against the new look, uh, Washington commanders, no more football team. They're the commanders. Now Jaguars at commanders, uh, Chris, how are we feeling? Is it a home team victory or uh, not a home team victory, but a favorite team victory for week one? You know, this is, this is actually tougher of a pick for me than the last game that we just picked because it's one of those scenarios where I think Washington could just, you know, take advantage of playing a bad team. But I also think Jacksonville could come out hot with the team that they have. Um, you know, Jacksonville likes to surprise people week one. It's very so true. So I'm going to go bold. I know Washington does not have Chase Young. I know Carson Wentz is being, you know, is brand new in this system. I know he's got a lot to prove, but I just don't see him improving and getting better. Mm. I will take the Jaguars in this game. I like it. Liam, how are you uh, thinking? 
I'm going Commanders. Advantage first game. I think uh, I think it's going to be fun. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with Chris here with the Jaguars. I think Trevor Lawrence with a new competent head coach is going to succeed. And also forget their new head coach is Doug Peterson, who as a former Eagles coach knows how these Washington Commanders even even under uh, Ron Rivera recently he knows how how to play them. So I'll go with the Jaguars here. Um, Packers at Vikings NFC North showdown two teams that are going to be vying for that champion or that title of the division title this year Chris uh, who are we thinking Justin Jefferson Jay Jettas or Aaron Rodgers this is a also a very tough matchup and I know historically I believe Aaron Rodgers doesn't typically start out too well uh, in the season usually he picks it up later on and gets hot so I'm actually going to say that the Vikings, you know, they have a fully healthy squad. They have Justin Jefferson, who's just a beast. I don't know if anybody can cover that guy. Dalvin Cook's there. He's ready to rock. I think it's a close game. Oh, this is tough to say. But I'm going to go with the Vikings because oh, I like it. Aaron Rodgers does not have Devontae Adams anymore. All right, Chris, Liam, how are we thinking NFC North showdown? Uh, I'm gonna kind of, I'm gonna go with the Vikings too. Uh, I think uh, they have a more complete squad, and Aaron Rodgers still is gonna take some time to acclimate to, uh, you know, his practically whole new receiving core. So I, uh, I think, I think the Vikings are gonna win at home. And I'm gonna make it a three for going with the Vikings. If you don't remember the Packers and that debacle they had Week One against the Saints last year, I don't think they're gonna come out that flat like they did last year. But uh, I'm gonna go with the Vikings as well. I just have a, a little bit of confidence in them. Uh, Raiders Chargers AFC West matchup. Two teams that are looking to dethrone the Chiefs. It was obviously the last game of last season. Chris, how are we feeling? I'm sorry. What did you say again? What was the teams? Raiders and Chargers. Oh my goodness. This is this is. My God, Hayden, you have some great games. Could this be the toughest one of the entire season? I don't know. This is this is brutal. I think, listen, I think the Raiders have a very good squad. I really do. I think the Raiders could easily have a team that's capable of going to the Super Bowl. Um, and then, you know, the Chargers are the same. Chargers have oh, – this is tough, man. I, I, It could go either way. This is tougher. Than, this is way tougher than Bill's Rams. Um, ugh. I'm going to say the Chargers are going to need to lose some games mm. before they find their rhythm. So I'm going to go. I'm, yeah, I'm going to go. Oh, my gosh. I want to pick the Raiders, <laughs> but at the same time, I'm starting to think of everybody on the Chargers. Both teams are stacked. You have Tay Adams there on the Raiders, too. Ah, I can't do it. I, I can't go with the red. I'm going to go with the Chargers. Chargers right. are going to get the win. Liam, how are we leaning? Uh, I'm leaning Chargers, too. I think uh, Justin Herbert's just – I think going to straight up sling them this year, all year, which I'm excited that uh, the Tay Adams, Derek Carr connection is going to get rekindled. But uh, I think uh, I think this is going to be a week where they don't win. I'm going to make it a three for, again, Chargers win solely based off last year when the – when the Raiders decided not to tie that game and kick the field goal to kick the Chargers out of the playoffs. They're looking for revenge. Justin Herbert's looking for a good season, and that all starts with a week one victory. So I'm going week one, Chargers win. Last game, guys, we'll fly through these before we head out onto break. Buccaneers visiting the Cowboys, a rematch of the season opener last year. It's now a week one game again, this time in 
Jerry world. Chris, is it Tom Brady or is it, or is it Jerry? Oof. Another very, very tough game to pick. Um, I, I would love to pick Dallas, but I think the only thing that would keep me or the only thing that makes me want to pick Dallas is because of what all, everything Brady has had going on this offseason. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to game time, nobody's better. He's got more weapons this year. I like it. Buccaneers, Super Bowl run starts from week one. They're going to win. All right, Liam. You, you have faith in my Cowboys or not? No, I could have quoted exactly what uh, the Brady <laughs> I uh I think the Buccaneers are gonna win. I think I think Dak's in a similar situation, Aaron Rodgers, where uh, you know, he's got some of the returners, but Amari Cooper was a big target that uh that is left. And uh, you know, there's Michael Gallup and C D Lamb. They're gonna have to they're gonna have to get on that. All right. Two Buccaneers. I mean, I threw this game back and forth in my head for a while, but you know, I just I gotta say, screw it. I gotta have a little bit of faith in my Cowboys before I run out of faith after Week Five because we'll probably just we'll we'll collide into a hill this season. I'll go with the Cowboys Week One victory. Um, expect that defense to look good. I mean, our offense is talked about, but the defense of the Cowboys is definitely slept on. Micah Parsons might have a couple sacks this game. It'll be a big one. But we're gonna go into a quick break here. When we get back, me and Liam got a few things on motorsports to discuss with you guys, and then we will be out of your ears. So stay tuned for that. Remember to follow us on our podcasting network to listen to the episodes. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else your podcasts are found. You can listen to all episodes of Off the Bench. Again, that is Off the Bench. Anywhere podcasts are found, check us out there. Listen to one more song. We'll be back after the break. And we are back here on Off the Bench. My name is Hayden Joyner with Liam Worley here to talk a little bit of motorsports just at the end of the show to uh, to end off our first episode. Liam, you were at the Darlington race this past weekend, and I know that was a good time. Obviously, the uh, NASCAR playoffs are starting up. Regular season just kicked, uh, ended recently, and uh, it's an exciting time to be a NASCAR fan. And uh, to add on to that, we had the news recently of uh, North Wilkesboro and North Carolina being added as the all-star race for next year. So that's entertaining uh, huge news, and I hear you have some stuff to report on the driver market, specifically Kyle Busch. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, Darlington was a hoot, man. Uh, Chase Elliott was uh, going in, the regular season champion, which I'm not sure if I predicted that, but I did predict that he'd win four or five races in our last episode uh, before going into summer break. He, unfortunately, was the first uh, wreck of the day and finished last, but you know, that sort of stuff happens. But uh, it was a uh, it was a pretty good race, man. There was some there were some comers and goers with uh, differing tire strategies and stuff and short pitting and all that noise, you know, considering for mm-hmm. a race. And, uh, you know, Kyle Busch was uh, the dominant car all day. And uh, with about 20 laps left, uh, he came out of pit road first, but uh, had to go back in because his engine was blowing up on the front stretch. The crowd was roaring rambunctious it was uh i think the seventh sold out crowd this year to uh nascar cup race which is which i'd like i'd like for them to all be sold out but i'll take what i can get especially at a race i'm at and uh Mm -hmm. then eric jones was able to fend off denny hamlin and tyler reddick on that last restart to uh get his first win uh since he's been in the 43 car with petty gms and uh that's uh the first or not the first win, but uh 
first win with them and Chevy's uh, since they've come back to them. And then it's also the 200th uh, win for Petty uh, with the 43 car. So oh, wow. lots of lots of good things going on there uh, with those those three uh, groups. And so, then, oh, yeah, you go going. Ahead. No, you're fine. You're All right. Uh, well, uh, Kyle Busch is all but confirmed to go to Richard Childress Racing next year. Whether, oh, wow. Whether that means they're buying a new charter uh, to – maybe get a third car going for just a year before Tyler Reddick gets released officially to go to 2311 racing or that they're going to buy out uh, Tyler Reddick's extension and he'll go to Toyota a year earlier than expected. So it'll kind of be more of a swap deal than, you know, some silly season news, but this is uh this is the biggest domino we needed to fall to get them all to start falling. So, uh, if it goes through like it's supposed to, which Adam Stern, uh, who's big in NASCAR and Sports Business Journal, uh, reported something about it that they haven't set up any press conferences yet, but it's all but confirmed. And then Dale Earnhardt Jr. actually chimed in as well and said that same thing. So uh, some credible sources there. And uh, yeah, that's really about all I got. Well, answer me these two questions, because obviously that's it's huge news. Uh, Kyle Busch moving away, going to RCR, Richard Childress Racing. And first off, what's what's the expectation for him next season in in that uh, in that organization? And also, like you said, it's the biggest domino. It's the first domino to fall in driver markets for for NASCAR this offseason. What what are the moves that we're expecting to see come in, in, in uh, as an aftershock of this move? Um. So, uh if if he does indeed go to RCR, I would expect him to have about the same caliber of season uh, that he had that Tyler Reddick had this year. Which Tyler Reddick has two wins. He's been really consistent all year and could have you know four or five wins easy if he had some more luck on his side between Auto Club and Bristol Dirt. So uh, you know, I think if Kyle Busch can replicate that, which I think he's going to be rejuvenated uh, going into this season. But uh, I think the Stuart Haas deal that he was supposed to have, which I think that's why Eric Almarola kind of came back, which he was supposed to retire. I think Cole Custer, who is either going to have to race for Rick Ware Racing next year or uh, go do some Xfinity stuff with Stuart Haas, he's probably going to be able to – somehow keep his cup ride for another year uh the toyota stable is going to be interesting because if kurt bush decides to retire because he hasn't raced in about six weeks now due to a concussion that would leave another seat toyota would have to fill uh but especially in the xfinity series and truck series this is just gonna knock over dominoes left and right because uh kyle bush which is you know one of the about two premier teams in uh the truck series is gonna switch from Toyotas to uh, Chevrolet, which is going to shake up their whole lineup in both Xfinity and trucks because John Hunter Nemechek and Chandler Smith are guys that, you know, Joe Gibbs Racing wants to sign uh, for the Xfinity series but may not be able to do so because of uh, this manufacturer switch. So we'll see. Uh, it's definitely going to be fun to watch on Instagram and stuff. Uh, and next about three weeks, I would say, it's going to be pretty dang crazy. Yeah, at, at this rate, I'm expecting low and Piastri, but crazy. Yeah, I mean, I'm expecting like a new driver announced, you know, graphic to pop up on my feed. I feel like for NASCAR, Indy, or F1, or forever, like almost weekly at this point, 
yeah for like the rest of uh for the rest of this year it seems like there's just so many driver moves and in all in all divisions and all motorsports um but i'll leave you with this uh liam to make a make, give me a prediction here because you know the playoffs are just now kicking off who's winning the whole thing this year if it's um, not chase elliott well I'll, I'll give you i'll give you my final four drivers that, that works that works uh i'm gonna do joey logano chase elliott uh, Tyler Reddick, I think, is actually okay. in, and then uh, I think Denny Hamlin's just too consistent. I think I think he'll get in as well. I like it. I like it. Well, we'll definitely keep track of all of this playoffs going on and all the driver market news. We'll we'll always have these little motorsports segments on. You know, you and I like to talk about it, and obviously we can get, we have some guests that we can get on the show that also love to talk some motorsports. So we'll keep it part of the show definitely going forward. But uh, thank you for holding on. Last couple of minutes, Liam, uh, for you and Chris being on this episode. Glad we could do it over Zoom. And uh, we'll definitely have some more coming in the next couple of weeks for you guys um, until we can hopefully get back in that studio. That's kind of the ultimate goal right now to get back into the station and have our professional setup and our, our cameras and all that to really have the off the bench experience. It's all of our senior years. So it's uh, it's the last season of off the bench. And uh, hopefully it's going to be a good one. Hopefully it's one of the best ones yet. And uh, I'm just looking forward to it. Yeah, man, I uh, I was really really enjoyed getting to be able to do this again, and uh, hopefully we're uh, it, it's definitely going to be the best year yet. But hopefully we get back in the studio here in the next about two or three weeks. I'm looking forward to it. Well, guys, if you are not following us on social media already, check us out there at Off the Bench XLR. We're primarily on Instagram. You can find quotes, video clips, graphics, and more from the show. Again, that is at Off the Bench XLR on Instagram. Check us out on our podcasting network if you want to listen to all other episodes of the show. We are available anywhere podcasts are found, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever you choose to listen. Just look up Off the Bench. You can find all episodes, including this one, on those platforms. Again, that is available on all platforms. That is Off the Bench, available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. So check us out there. Guys, remember to stay in the game and Off the Bench, and have a good night. <laughs>